This podcast is sponsored by ID90 Travel, an airline's one-stop shop for your employees' past travel reservations, no-fee interline discount hotels, rental cars, and cruises. Skip the hassle and high cost of maintaining antiquated past ticketing and travel discount systems with ID90 Travel's modern, all-online, all-in-one platform. One airline that's enjoying a bounce, if you will, has a kangaroo on its tail. Of course, I'm talking about Australia's Qantas, which just reported its best fiscal year results in its history. That's almost 100 years. A reduction in fuel costs, no doubt, helped tremendously. But still, the 9% operating margin that Qantas reported in its second half, which includes January through June, was pretty good in a global economy that is just so-so. And it's really good when you consider how far Qantas has come. As recently as 2013, it was barely breaking even. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is the non-marsupial Seth Kaplan, Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to talk about Qantas's continued comeback. We'll also talk about other airlines in that neighborhood, such as Virgin Australia and Air New Zealand. We'll check in on the troubled Turkish carriers. Also, Brazil's goal has found some breathing room. Meanwhile, in Chicago, the chanting of, We got Kirby, we got Kirby, has finally simmered down. But this show is just heating up. Episode 54 of the Airline Weekly Lounge, coming at you right now. Thanks for joining us. We're starting the show with Qantas's earnings report and how the airline has gone from some real lows to now a best ever fiscal year. Surely we're going to sing their praises, but I'm going to start the show off on a negative note. They posted a 9% margin in the second half and a 12% margin in the first half. Seth, is it me or are these numbers not exactly crying out best year ever? Well, I think you got some recency bias there, Jason. You know, uh, over the past few years, we've seen some just really outstanding margins from, uh, in particular, some of the ultra low cost carriers around the world, or for that matter, carriers of all stripes from, from the U S just numbers that really jump off the page. But if you look back at airline history, you know, any, anything double digit, you mentioned that 12% in the first half, you know, is, is uh, perfectly respectable. And there are other airlines that I think we all think of as, as, uh, you know, rather successful airlines historically, whose highest numbers ever are surprisingly low, uh, if you will. I think you and I, Jason, talked about uh, Lufthansa at one point, uh, and I, think, I can't remember exactly what the what the best number ever was. But same thing, you know, if, for, you know for an airline that we all think of as, you know, having, having a, a, a nice history, uh, you know, never put up those kinds of numbers that you're seeing from, as I said, uh, you know, a lot of U.S. carriers and, and uh, uh, ultra LCCs elsewhere. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, Qantas, it, it's basically been slow and steady wins the race for most of its history uh had some very lackluster years in, in more recent history but uh yeah never never awful results uh you know never found itself in in, in bankruptcy and facing liquidation like some of those u.s carriers that today are doing so well uh but never uh, quite attained the highs that they're now attaining recency bias i 
hope there's a pill for that. <laughs> in 2011, the operating margin for Qantas was 3%. In 2012, it was 1%. And in 2013, it was even fractionally lower. Uh, real quick, what were the problems that Qantas was dealing with back then? Well, it had cost problems, you know, first of all, kind of an unwieldy maintenance structure. At least that's what it concluded is when or what about restructuring everything and an international flying d- division that was uh, really suffering, uh, you know, overall sort of those um, those numbers that you mentioned, generally positive operating margins, at least kind of belied the fact that uh, uh, there were some problems. Uh, some parts of the company, rather, that were rather troubled, uh, as I said, particularly international flying. Uh, and, and it was just a, a very high-cost airline. An airline that, look, structurally and in a rather high-cost country is never going to be among the lowest-cost carriers in the world, but that at least decided it, it shouldn't be among the highest-cost ones. Fast-forwarding to today, uh, fuel, of course, was a big factor in their success. But other airlines are enjoying cheap fuel but not posting record results. So I imagine some other things must be going right, too. Yeah. Look, I mentioned International, which was uh, long a drag on its result. And that's not the case at all right now. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, you know, right right there in the middle, uh, um, you know, a 9% margin in, in the uh, the. the well, second half of their fiscal year, the first half of the of the calendar year, uh, January through June, the Jetstar continues to perform well. Uh, you know that that is uh, where, the, in terms of the the book on a legacy airline uh, setting up a low cost unit successfully, uh, you know it, it, it's a short book. It has uh, basically one chapter, pretty much, uh, and and that chapter is all about Jetstar. I mean, there are some others where you, you might say it's 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 too early to conclude anything, but um. You know, something that airlines all around the world have tried a number of times with uh, with with very limited success. But uh, Qantas got it right uh, with with Jetstar, you know, managed to really give it just enough freedom to do what it needs to do and yet contribute uh, to the uh, overall company. Uh, you know, other things that have, have changed in just the past few years are um, joint ventures, you know, first with uh, uh, Emirates. Uh, then, then especially with American, which is the one that Qantas has called its its most important joint venture of all. Uh, but both, by all appearances, uh, contributing. Um, uh, also one with China Eastern. Uh, you know, so that's also uh, you know some things that it has going for it that it didn't just a few years ago. One other thing, Jason, uh, sort of uh, related to that Emirates joint venture. You know, in some result, in some respects, rather, that one has kind of been what you might call addition by subtraction. You know, by extension, Qantas is flying less to Europe. And right now, flying yet less to Europe is not a bad thing. There's some troubled markets there. You know, of course, London with Brexit and whatnot, which Qantas does still serve on its own London. But, uh, you know, terrorism, all the rest of it, just the the, uh, um, stagnant economies. Uh, You know, a lot of other airlines, global airlines from outside Europe, count Europe as a troubled spot. And for Qantas, it just doesn't fly all that much there, much more exposed. Uh, North America, for example, you know, where, where, where trends are reasonably good. Let's try an airline 101 question. Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Qantas grew ASK's 8%, mostly by flying more intensively. What does flying more intensively really mean, and why is that an efficient way to grow an airline? Well, and I guess stepping even back a little bit further with the Airline 101, just for anybody who, who's, who's not familiar with the term, you said ASKs. That's a capacity measure. It's uh, uh, the number of available seats times the number of kilometers they fly. Uh, other airlines measure in ASMs, available seat miles. But uh, just, just kind of one of those very basic measures of, of, of airline capacity, of, of, of what they produce. 
airline traffic is, of course, is what they sell, uh, you know, revenue passenger kilometers or reg- revenue passenger miles. Uh, you know, the, the equivalent, oh, I don't know, at McDonald's would be, uh, you know, uh, how many hamburgers they produce versus how, how many hamburgers they sell. Well, how many they produce would be uh, ASKs in, in the airline world. And so, yeah, you said they they grew their capacity, their ASK, available C kilometer capacity, by 8% by flying more intensively. We're talking here about utilization, uh, basically just keeping the plane in the in the air more hours per day very, very much you know what what historically people sort of thought of as as the low cost model you know southwest kind of invented it all those decades ago just keep the plane in the air airplane doesn't make money on the ground keep it in the air uh, doing something productive now it's it's not that simple there, there are reasons not to do that sometimes you know sometimes uh, sometimes yeah, the airplane doesn't make money on the ground, but it can lose even more in the air. But when you have good opportunities, uh, which you know Qantas has felt it does, and, and you do keep your aircraft producing more, uh, a, a very nice side benefit is that this helps hammer down your unit costs because, uh, and this I think, Jason, is what you're getting at. You said, why is this a rather efficient way to grow? There are different ways to grow. I mean, you can go out and buy more airplanes and and you know that that sort of thing, which could, which can make sense. But new airplanes are expensive. When I say new new used airplanes too can be expensive, right? But um, if you just take the assets that you already own, you know the mortgage payment or the lease payment is what it is per month. You know, regardless of of, of how much you use it, generally speaking, you know you are spreading those fixed costs, those ownership costs, among more production, uh, and and thus driving down your unit cost. Now, when you fly more, some of your costs are, are variable and, and you do pay more for, uh, well, most notably of all, jet fuel. But guess what? Jet fuel is cheap right now. And, and so that's one thing that's changed here in the past couple of years. Uh, you know, historically, this was generally kind of a fixed cost industry. I mean, that's why Southwest became so successful and everybody else sort of uh, tried varying uh, forms of uh, of that that model, so then fuel got very expensive, and, and it sort of got to where well, if you're going to fly more, you actually your costs you are paying a lot more. Your unit costs might drop, but not by as much. Well, here we are back to cheap jet fuel, back to sort of how things have at other times in history been, but not how they had been over the past decade or so up until a couple of years ago. When fuel is cheap, so you're not worried as much about your variable costs. You really have an opportunity to, as you said, grow efficiently by flying more, and that's what Qantas is doing. Qantas makes a lot of money from its frequent flyer program. Is there something special about its program or is it rather typical for a big international carrier? Yes and yes, I guess I might say. Phrase that as an or question. But, uh, but you know, I don't know if those two are, are mutually exclusive. What I would say is uh, special, not unique, but special, useful about it is that Australia is a country, uh, you know, we compare it sometimes to Canada and, and there are a million differences. But in, in very broad terms, those are two countries that have some things in common, uh, you know, in terms of the size of their population, demographics and so forth. And one thing they both have are you know, these sort of these national brands, generally speaking, two big airlines in those countries. I mean, Canada has two rather strong ones. Australia has a a strong one and a struggling one, but frequent flyer programs, uh, in terms of leveraging just just other consumer uh, tendencies, uh, they like it when you have these national brands where you can uh, you know do a partnership with with uh, with a retailer who uh, who tends to be all over the country. Sort of you have a lot of leverage when you're negotiating those kinds of contracts. Uh, now even in the U.S., you know the supermarket chains for the most part aren't national. A lot a lot of those kinds of things. So so that actually is 
is uh, is unhelpful in the U.S., whereas uh, you know very helpful to have this sort of more cohesive national brand. And having said that, the the very big difference uh, vis-a-vis the U.S. and the reason why the U.S. programs are, 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 are or at least one reason why the U.S. programs are so extraordinarily profitable is that they are still so much more ubiquitous among consumers. Uh, you know, Qantas has 10 million members. You know, really impressive. The U.S. programs have like a hundred million members each. Um, you know, they, they're they're just um, their penetration is is greater, and and so you know that's why they you know tend to be multi billion dollar programs. But having said that, Qantas frequent flyer a twenty four percent margin. Uh, I mean that that was the most successful thing about the company, uh, and one hundred twenty seven million dollars, Jason, in operating profits. I mean that is real money. Uh, you know, Qantas at one point, when it was struggling a few years back, actually considered spinning off that program, something that, by the way, Air Canada actually did when it was in even more dire straits. And uh, Qantas probably wisely uh, decided to hold on to it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's um, probably glad it didn't sort of, in a frantic search for capital, sell off the program because that program is contributing very nicely as a part of the airline. And, and, and it's, it's something that it Controls strategically, you know, which which it wouldn't entirely do if if it were now dealing with sort of a a separate company that had that had once been a part of Qantas. Will Qantas be able to top this record year? I guess sure, right? <laughs> if if uh, if the trends continue going as they are, um, it, it, it's 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 doing well. And there's more to come in terms of some of the tailwinds. You know, it's it's first looking forward to getting its its seven eight seven dash nine Dreamliners, uh, and, and and these are you know just in terms of really attractive economics on long haul flying the 787-9 is is uh is, is the one that's pretty exciting a few more seats to fill but uh, uh lower unit costs uh because of those extra seats than the than dash eight have uh, those already flying at, at jetstar and then by all uh, accounts and appearances uh doing very well uh so some other virtuous cycles too you know Qantas historically had been one of the few uh investment grade airlines in the world i, I mean just really one of the the solid airline companies anywhere at times there have just been kind of you know two three four of them in the world and, and Qantas has often been one of them and that was changing uh, you know because of, of some what began happening a few years ago but it you know going back to that kind of stature in, in the investment community which means you can attract just just different classes of investors different classes of people who are willing to loan you money drives down your interest costs and so there you get the virtuous cycle now you have more money to to either uh, pay dividends to your, to your shareholders which indeed Qantas is doing uh, or or to uh, reinvest in the product on the other hand uh, you know look when when there's all this money to go around workers want their share especially workers who have given up a lot uh, you know during the tough times that's exactly what happened to Qantas and uh, you know now they're getting bonuses and and uh, you know the other thing is Jason the domestic market let's not forget we're talking about a, co- a country that has been pounded by the uh, by the fall in commodity prices Australia a huge mining economy Qantas is not at all immune from that and they, they were sure to say that the domestic market, uh, remained very difficult and, and just always all kinds of competitive challenges. We mentioned Qantas has has, has lowered its cost, uh, but you're still talking about a airlines competing a lot of, against a lot of Chinese carriers and others who, uh, you know, structurally are always going to be poised to have have lower costs just because of lower labor costs and so forth. 
One airline that is certainly feeling those challenges is Virgin Australia. Uh, in the January to June period, the airline earned a measly 2% operating margin. Yeah, I mentioned the, the the difference between Australia and Canada. One among many differences, but uh, certainly one, the fact that you know Canada has, has you know, had generally, at least in recent years, two to, uh, rather successful airlines, uh, you know, Australia, Virgin Australia has has had its moments. I mean, look, it started off as a as a, as a reasonably successful low cost carrier, then called Virgin Blue, but accepted all kinds of cost and complexity, which can be okay if you have the revenue to show for it. I mean, that's that's what airlines, after all, are after when they uh, when they start doing new complex things, hoping that uh, you know the the new revenue will more than compensate. For all the new costs, but in Virgin Australia's case, uh, that just hasn't been the case. I mean, the 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 worst of all in terms of cost complexity has been the the long haul flying. They went out and uh, bought a handful of triple seven dash three hundred ERs. Um, you know, flying to Los Angeles and Abu Dhabi in connection with with uh, sort of a strategic alliance with with the uh, Etihad, which also owns part of the airline. It's a whole other story. But anyway, uh, I mean, that, that rather clearly has, has, has not gone well. It, it mainline domestic, uh, was a 2% margin. So kind of average for everything at the airline tiger air. One thing that's actually going well there, it was, you know, it had been a separate airline. I'll show you for a while there had, had sort of three sizable airlines, uh, mainline carriers, but, uh, you know, Virgin Australia bought tiger air, that's that's kind of a success story. It actually was up to a, a 6% operating margin. Now, look, for a low-cost carrier, it's certainly nothing that jumps off the page uh, versus others in the world. It's certainly good to see it making money rather than losing money. Uh, frequent flyer programs, Jason, here we are again. Velocity is Virgin's program. That is one thing that has gone very, very well, a 40% operating margin. Wow. You know, there Virgin sold a little more than a third of it a couple of years ago because of its problems. So whereas Qantas, things never got bad enough, or at least it decided that it would just sort of do everything else first before spinning off all or part of its program, held on to it. Uh, you know, Virgin, although it's very happy to have that contribution, you know, kind of forever, it's going to be giving up a third or more of the uh, the profits from that. Yeah, add it all up negative 4% operating margin for the international flying. Uh, and that includes flying to the near abroad and the number is likely worse for that long haul flying. You know, it's, it's just an airline that continues to struggle to find its footing torn, as we've mentioned before on the show, Jason, um, by the sort of strategic interests by all appearances anyway, of, of some of its owners. This is an airline that is owned mostly not by financial investors who are interested in the airline earning as much money as possible for itself, but by other airlines, Singapore airlines, Etihad I mentioned before, Air New Zealand has kind of thrown up its hands and said, look, um, we're not willing to continue to be exposed to the uh, losses to the same degree. They still own a small piece, uh, still an important joint venture partner with Virgin Australia at this point, but uh, but they don't own uh, very much of the airline anymore. Delta, uh, another key joint venture partner, uh, which in its case does not own any uh, of, of the airline. Speaking of Air New Zealand, they are for the moment the most profitable non-LCC outside the U United States. I don't expect that to become their new tagline, <laughs> but that is a point of distinction. Air New Zealand earned a handsome 15% operating margin in the January through June period. Yeah, uh, you know, doing a good job of cost management. I, I mean, look, they they uh, they added seven percent uh, capacity, ASK capacity, um, and and yet their total operating costs managed to decline two uh, percent. Obviously, you know, driven by by falling uh, fuel prices, but but not only by that, their 
look, their fleet is is is, is renewing quickly. Uh, I mentioned before, 787-9s that airlines seem to love, that Qantas is looking forward to receiving. Well, Air New Zealand already has some. In fact, I believe it was a launch customer for, for the Dash 9, if I if I remember correctly. You know, as, as they take those, they phase out their, their uh, 767s. Just, just, just an airline with uh, a good local tourist economy. Uh, tourism to Australia, to Australia, to New Zealand has been uh, doing rather well. And even as a lot of capacity from foreign competitors comes in, one good thing is when people come to New Zealand and, and and fly around the country, especially flying between the North Island and the South Island, even if they've come in on another airline, they're very often using Air New Zealand uh, domestic flights to uh, to get around the place. So, um. Uh, doing well and, and uh, still making some adjustments. Uh, uh, you know, one thing I found interesting, they said they're reducing seat counts on uh, some of their future Dreamliner deliveries. Uh, what that does is take some weight off the plane, actually allows them to fly more deeply into the U.S. And that kind of piqued my interest. I wonder, wonder what they're, uh, they're planning. Don't forget they're now joint venture partner of uh, of, of United, uh, just as Qantas is aligned in that way with uh, with American. But speaking of American, you know, th- that sort of speaks to one of Air New Zealand's vulnerabilities. Um, the fact that for as impressive as their performance is, and and, and it is, I mean, Jason, to put up the, 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 the 15% number you mentioned, don't, don't forget, we're talking about an airline that, you know, in terms of global geography, it, it's it doesn't get much worse than that. I mean, you can't capture any meaningful connecting global traffic flows or anything like that. So they've done it all well, um, but they are still a, a smallish airline in global terms and one that's vulnerable to uh, to, to to some of the big changes in, in capacity to the country. So all of a sudden, uh, you know, you have American flying Los Angeles, Auckland, as they are, in fact, doing that's a lot of new capacity in, in a market that, you know, however well it's doing, uh, is still always going to be a, a rather, you know, what airlines call a thin market, you know, just, just limited demand because it, it's just it, it, you know, because of the distance, you know, because there are just people who just aren't interested in, in flying that far. So um, so sometimes all it takes is, is a relatively small amount of new capacity, uh, a, an amount of capacity that certainly from an American standpoint as a giant airline is, is not terribly meaningful, although it's, it's happy to be in the market. And that can be a, a rather big threat to Air New Zealand. But, uh, you know, uh, anybody who's bet against them in recent years uh, because of threats like that has, has uh, so far been wrong. Okay, now we begin the troubled airline portion of the show. We need some violin music. Let's start with Turkish Airlines, who lost roughly $200 million in its second quarter, negative 7% operating margin. Seth, did you ever think you'd see such numbers from Turkish? Uh, no, I can't say I would have predicted that, certainly not without without knowing what was was going to transpire in, in Turkey and the broader environment there and in, in, in the region. Uh, th- this is an airline that uh, has been a high flyer, uh, really not many people gave it much thought. Oh, as recently as 15 years ago or something like that. But uh, it's grown very rapidly and for the most part profitably. Uh, you know, it's had its moments certainly where where it's where the pace of growth, you know, double digit growth, well into the double digits, has has uh, looked unsustainable at times. But uh, you know, generally speaking, you know, more often than not, it's 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 managed to to hold its own. But not now. Um, it it uh, you know it, it has continued to grow. You know, just just the demand's not there to uh, to keep pace. Uh, you know, and that's despite look, it benefited from from cheaper fuel, just like everybody else. You know, basically, it's 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 unit revenues have have fallen off a cliff, uh, and it's 
you know, unit costs just just haven't dropped nearly as quickly, and that's that's always a recipe for uh, for declining margins. I mean, in any industry, not just the airline industry, if your costs are rising faster in your revenues, and that's that's where they are. Look, uh, tourist arrivals to Turkey were down 41 percent uh, in June versus the year prior, uh, and I mean that's. You know, so within that number, you had Russian arrivals down 93% because of tensions between the two countries. I, you know, it's just just when you're an airline that's somewhat dependent on on uh, tourist flows, it's hard to recover from that. Now, Turkish did say that um, it's sixth freedom traffic. That is, you know, the people connecting in primarily Istanbul between two other countries that that has held up reasonably well. Uh, that's good news considering the fact that the airport itself was well, it was, of course, the the uh, subject of, of one attack. So you wonder how many people just kind of are avoiding the airline uh, overall, even if they're not actually stepping outside the airport in Turkey. Well, apparently that's done better than other parts of the business. Uh, but here's where I mentioned before that virtuous cycle that Qantas is in, uh, you know, credit rating upgrades, uh, being able to borrow on better terms. Well, Turkish is facing exactly the opposite credit rating downgrades, which which creates a vicious cycle of, well, your interest costs go up and now more money's going toward that and can't go toward uh, more productive things. Uh, right now, Jason, it's still growing. Still says it's going to fly to Mexico City, uh, to Phuket, to Bali. These are some of its plans. But even as it seems interested still in earning, uh, adding dots rather to the map, more quietly, it is making some other surgical uh, cuts, uh, you know, cutting frequencies here and there, using smaller planes, reducing aircraft utilization. We talked about it before with Qantas, increasing utilization, you know, when the demand is there, great way to drive down unit costs. Well, when the demand's not there, it still costs more money to put the plane in the air more hours per day, uh, you know, which, which put, pushes up your total cost, even if it does good things for your unit costs. And, you know, when you're pushing up your total cost and the revenue is just not there, uh, utilization is 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 not a uh, a good thing. So it's it's um, you know, it's an airline that's facing certainly the the biggest challenges it has faced ever since it emerged on the uh, the global scene. And uh, uh, we'll see how, uh, how how it manages to navigate this. Doing much worse than Turkish was its competitor, Pegasus, who posted a negative 14% operating margin. I presume there's no hope they'll be bailed out by a tremendous third quarter, something that has happened in the past. Yeah, it happened last year. A 28% margin during the third quarter, uh, you know, pulled them up. Uh, but third quarter, or in the second quarter last year, their negative margin was just 1%, not what you said just now, negative 14%. So, you know, they're starting from a much worse place. And... Uh, there's nothing suggesting that they're going to put up a third quarter number like uh, like, like the one they put up last year. So, uh, uh, no, it, it, it's uh, th this is an airline that um, really showed some promise uh, a few years ago. And, you know, at this point, you're just, um, you know, trying to run a, a an airline that depends on a lot of tourist flows, you know, bringing people in from Europe to Turkey and, and uh, all those sorts of things in, in an environment that's uh, that's just awful for that. Um, you know, it has a has a sizable domestic business too, and uh, you know some six freedom business, but um, but not even as well equipped as Turkish Airlines to be able to uh, sort of shift its focus uh, to, for example, the sixth freedom flight. You know, Turkish just has a lot of ability to try to uh, try to compete for more than that. Whereas Pegasus, being an all short haul narrow body carrier, uh, you, you know, just just doesn't have as much 
flexibility in in that regard it, it is dialing down the growth it, it has um uh, you know long been a, a very fast growing airline so you know it's reacting to what's going down but uh it too reducing aircraft utilization uh that pushes up unit costs as, as we just discussed before and for a low-cost carrier, that that's an even tougher pill to swallow. Uh, you know, low-cost carriers really like to optimize for cost. You know, start with okay, doing what's cheapest on a unit-cost basis, uh, and 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 sort of manage the revenue beyond that. And so, when you're looking at just saying, look, I just can't keep the planes in the air very many hours per day, uh, that is a if anything, an even bigger challenge for a uh, for a low-cost carrier uh, than it is for a legacy airline. And for our third troubled airline, we go to Brazil, where Goal posted a negative 7% operating margin. That's bad, of course, but uh, the story, as far as I read in Airline Weekly, is actually rather good. Yeah, sort of the uh, the opposite case of what we just described with the uh, Turkish carriers, with with, with uh, you know Pegasus, especially uh, you know trends worsening. Pegasus' case from rather good to you know to, to, to pretty terrible. Goal is 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 still doing poorly, um, but the trend is good. The trajectory is is a good one. Uh, you mentioned it, Jason. Negative seven percent for the second quarter is bad, but uh, but last year was negative eleven percent. Um, and that's not a peak quarter, by the way, for for uh, for Brazil. Um, so th- this is another one of those airlines. I mean, look, on the surface, you look at Goal and you think this is an airline that should be doing pretty well. I mean, it, it's it's the big low cost carrier in a giant economy. Yeah, just just sort of at a high level, always looks to be like other airlines around the world that succeed. You know, sort of a you know the very broadly speaking, the you know, Southwest Airlines model or the EasyJet model of, you know, kind of carrying a lot of business traffic, um, uh, but, you know, doing things rather efficiently and so forth. And, and yet it, 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 it's never really had long periods of very high profitability. It's had its moments uh, when it's done OK, but um, but then something always seems to happen. And of course, what happened this time is, is uh, you know, Brill's Brazil's economy has collapsed. Its currency has collapsed, uh, and 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 a collapsing currency just uh, pushes, in particular, borrowing costs through the roof. Because you know you borrow money to buy aircraft, and in, in typically in U.S. dollars, and all of a sudden you know, you're collecting revenue primarily, especially if you're an, a nearly all domestic airline, collecting revenue in in uh, in Brazilian reais, uh, which now are, are are worth so much less, and yet. The lenders still expect to be paid in in dollars. It's an airline that, between all of it, has has just really struggled. But one that that uh, you know has has done what it can. Uh, you know, first of all, it's it's a strategically important airline to uh, to people from outside Brazil, including Delta, which owns part of it, uh, including Boeing, which is a huge supplier, including. Uh, Various aircraft lessors uh, and all of those parties have actually been been helping Goal get through this. Goal is actually reducing its fleet count, so not just utilization, but I mean it's gone from 144 planes at the end of last year to it'll be just 122 this year, which for an airline that at one point was growing very rapidly is is uh, you know is quite a big cut. You know, one other piece of good news during uh, the in, in just even since the second quarter here in the current third quarter it said the uh, uh, the Olympics weren't too much of a drag. Uh, you know, somewhat counterintuitively, these big sporting events a lot, a lot of times are bad for airlines because you have this period of several weeks where you know people are 
you know, where business travel is down and, and uh, you know, people aren't really flying much because they're, they're watching things on TV and so forth. Uh, uh, the World Cup in 2014 was awful. But Goal said that because the Olympics were all concentrated just in Rio de Janeiro rather than sort of spread among the country as, as uh, the World Cup games were, that this event wasn't uh, wasn't even that bad. Look, Brazil's economy uh, has still been shrinking, shrinking, but even there are questions of, OK, maybe and, and, and indications from other airlines, maybe. Uh, the worst is is over. Um, so, uh, you know, goal continues ca- cutting capacity. Latam, its big uh, competitor there, continues cutting capacity. Uh, goal says it wishes Azul and Avianca Brazil would uh, would do more to cut capacity on, on their end too. Okay, our fourth troubled carrier is NoCare in Thailand. Negative 23% margin. Wow, what happened? Yeah, uh, well... Uh, Pounded by uh, um, by by currency issues, uh, and then you go back to the same stuff I was talking about, sort of you know borrowing money in, in strong U.S. dollars, having to pay for it in in, in a weak currency, pilot shortages. Uh, it has this joint venture called Noak Scoot, a joint venture with Scoot owned by Singapore Airlines. That lost four million dollars. Jason, that might that's sound like a lot of money in global airline terms, but for an airline that had only you know, eighty-seven million dollars in revenue. That, that, that's a lot of money that that, that accounts for a, a meaningful por- portion of the uh, uh, the losses. So uh, yeah, Noka is an airline that uh, it, it too. I've said this uh, you know, a moment ago. It's kind of had its moments. You know, moments in the sun, moments when it seemed to um, be doing reasonably well, but then this always seems to happen again. Um, and uh, and here, yeah, uh, you 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 for 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 a low cost carrier that deals with a lot of tourist traffic and so forth, you would like to see it doing better than it's doing, given the fact that Thailand's uh, tourist sector is actually uh, booming right now, actually uh, uh, one of the bright spots in the world. So uh, yeah, uh, not 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 good news for Nook. In Europe, Finnair had an improved second quarter. The airline's 2% operating margin was up from a negative 2% the year before. They're also pursuing a transformation plan. All that together sounds pretty promising, but then you consider that profits were still thin despite a 19% drop in fuel costs. It's hard to tell. Is this a healthy airline? A reasonably healthy airline, uh, although one that sort of has all the same challenges it, it, it always had. You know, we, we've uh, an airline weekly over the years kind of always called it a one trick pony. And basically, as goes Asia and as goes travel between Europe and Asia, so goes Finnair. It's got this uh, hub in Helsinki that is, is geographically as well positioned, better positioned than any other in, in Europe to connect people to, between Europe and Asia. And yet, uh, you know, that that's a lot of exposure to one particular kind of flying so it's doing reasonably well uh you know it's it's over the years had round after round of cost cutting and and uh yeah has its head above water at the moment but it 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 sort of understands that uh you know life as an independent airline is precarious for it and and uh you know you you have to believe that if the right deal came along you know if iag came along uh, wanting to buy finnair that uh you know, Finnair would would listen carefully and and uh, give give close consideration to, uh, to 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 the right offer. Last item of the day. Let let's talk for a moment about the Kirby defection, if that is the right word. So, for anybody who hasn't heard, Scott Kirby, the former president of American Airlines, is now the president of United. 
Seth, can you think of a higher position to ever change hands between two fiercer rivals? I can't. Um, and and I and I'm not sure defection is the right word. I I, I think uh, you know from what I understand, he did become available. <laughs> um, it it uh, you know American sort of uh, seems to have really made the decision that they uh, couldn't promise a future to uh to too many people in terms of you know there's there various people obviously robert isom now the president of american uh poised to become ceo when when uh, doug parker eventually retires i say eventually I mean, there's no indication that's going to happen anytime soon and i think that's uh uh maybe part of the crux of the issue here but it seems like like uh there really was a decision that the town wasn't big enough for uh for everybody uh at, at american and and uh you know that it, that it really was um uh in succession uh kirby although you know not exactly kicked to the curb sort of everybody understood that this is uh what had to happen that he was uh, going to be leaving american united uh got wind of that and and uh you know did what they did um it, it's it's uh and and by the way robert isom is is as well regarded as anybody in the industry in his case uh you know in terms of uh, his operational prowess. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's excellent. Uh, you know, according to anybody who, who, uh, who, who understands that part of the business. Uh, but in terms of commercial knowledge, uh, it, it's, it's hard to think of anybody better than Scott Kirby. And I, I guess in the most objective way at all of all, uh, you know, what, what did investors think last week? Well, I guess they, they thought United is worth $1.4 billion more with Kirby than without it. Cause that's how much it's, it's uh, market cap uh, in, increased after, after the news last week. It's, it's uh, huge news um, for, for United, obviously very, very hopeful news. And as we discussed in Airline Weekly, with the addition of Kirby, United has assembled a rather impressive management team. Will we finally find out whether United's problems are structural or a matter of execution? Or as we've said on the show before, is it the jockey or the horse? Yeah, well, well they have as, now as, as good of a jockey as anybody. And by the way, not only Kirby. I mean, they've got Andrew Levy, uh, you know, formerly of Allegiant. Um, and so I mean, it, it's Oscar Munoz has, has, has very quickly brought in um, some really top talent. So, so I think, yeah, we're really going to get the chance now uh, to see more than ever. Um, uh, if, if this is an airline that with, you know, some of the best minds in the business, um, can be set on course. And, and by the way, uh, you know, it's already in the, don't look now, but the margin gap had already started to, uh, to close, uh, with American, you know, too soon to call it a trend, but yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, it, it has the right jockeys. So, uh, stay tuned. And with that, we'll wrap this episode. We'll be back next week with another. For Seth Kaplan, I'm Jason Cottrell, and you've been listening to the Airline Weekly Lounge.